Hi folks, happy Wednesday and welcome back to another episode of the Future in Finance podcast series. This week we're talking about CMAP topic 10, pension products. It's a biggie and if you're new here, this podcast is dedicated to helping you smash through those CMAP exams. Every week we pick one of the topics from the London Institute of Banking and Finance's study text and we work through it together, trying to give it some pizzazz and dropping in some real-world examples along the way. If you don't want to miss an episode, you can hit follow and press the little notification bell button on Spotify. Not only will it give you a little ding when we've dropped an episode, but it also means I get to see just how many real-life people tune in each week. Now, if you're not new here, this is the part where I'd usually introduce my favourite co-host, but I've given her a week off this completely unpaid job she does because this week for her is moving week and honestly I think she'll probably need all the extra help she can get so Maria if you're listening it's been a blast having you in the spare room and my house is now down one adult one and a half average sized doggos or three really small ones and about 17,000 houseplants okay before I jump in a little housekeeping as usual the CMAP1 Masterclass is now live and ready to book. It got launched yesterday. The response has been overwhelming. I can't even tell you. So if you haven't heard, it's a five-day fast-track CMAP1 study course. You'll get the delight of me and no more than seven other students working through the material together Monday to Friday to get exam ready. You'll get access to an e-learning platform if you did want to do some prep in your own time. You'll also get the complete audio study guide series, which is audio files just like this podcast, broken down into each unit of the textbook in an easy to understand way. And you'll also get a one hour one on one coaching session with me all for the bargain price of £279. And if you're thinking, that's way too cheap, that is. I've seen those other ones out there for over £600. Yes, you have. And yes, it is. So this is an early bird offer to celebrate the launch of the course. So you'll get everything as and when it's ready. And then you can either sit the fast track course from the 4th to the 8th of September or the 2nd to the 6th of October. After those two courses have passed at £279, it will get put up to its standard price, which is going to be about £580 for the course. So yesterday there were 15 spaces available, today there are 11 spaces available. So if you think this could be exactly what you're looking for, head on over to futureinfinance.co.uk, click on the masterclass and have a read, see what you think and bag your spot. Now I'm going to cue our intro music, take a breath and get psyched about pensions. I'd love to play more of that, but honestly, today we just don't have time because I've given ourselves quite a lot to get through. So I don't go through the whole topic just because I don't have time. I want to keep this around 20-ish minutes. But first, we'll go through the objectives. So this week, I'm going to help you get a really clear understanding of the tax reliefs relating to pension products, the difference between defined benefit and defined contribution schemes, occupational pensions, the auto-enrolment in workplace pensions, personal personal, personal pension products, including stakeholder products, and finally, pension scams. 
Now, if you're a diehard Future in Finance fan, you'll remember we spoke in topic five, which is the state benefits one, about how those who've made enough national insurance contributions are entitled to a state pension. However, a state pension shouldn't really be the goal, the end game. It shouldn't be what you want to live off. To put it into perspective, I think a state pension at the minute would bring you in about 500 to 600 pound a month. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's around about where we are. I mean, it ain't bad, but it ain't enough for the mimosa for breakfast on my yacht kind of lifestyle that you might want during retirement. So to encourage saving towards that party fund or pension fund, there are generous tax reliefs on pensions. And generally speaking, there are two main ways in which pension schemes can be set up. So you've got a defined benefit scheme, which can be offered by employers. And then you've got a defined contribution scheme that can be offered by employers or set up on your own as an individual pension arrangement. I'm going to dig into these in a second. But first, let's talk about the tax reliefs and allowances that are available for pensions. So anyone who's a UK resident or if you're a non-UK resident but you have UK earnings and is under the age of 75 can receive income tax relief up to a certain amount. So basically you have a tax-free allowance on pensions up to a certain amount each year that's called an annual allowance. Anything over your allowance you get taxed on and the annual allowance is tapered for higher earners and an individual can carry forward any unused allowance from the previous three years to the current tax year, if they wanted to. There are two allowances that are important with pensions. So first up, you've got the lifetime allowance. So if the total value of someone's pension benefit is over their lifetime allowance at the point when they want to retire or draw their money out, there's a lifetime allowance tax charge that you have to pay. And the way it works is that your pension provider would deduct that amount before anything's paid to you. So it's not like you would get a bill through the post for it. There are different tax rate charges depending on how the money is paid out as well. So if you decided to take out a lump sum, you would attract a higher tax charge than funds if you were to take out funds as an income or as regular withdrawals. So if you remember with a pension, you can withdraw a 25% tax-free lump sum from a certain age. And as of this year, that age is 55, but it does tend to change. I think the government um, change it every few years. And remember, with a pension fund, there's no capital gains tax, there's no income tax or dividends, savings income, anything like that. It's completely separate. So the rules regarding to taking the remainder of your pension depends on the type of scheme. So if we loop back around and talk about these, as I mentioned, first up, we have the defined benefit scheme. So I personally have never seen one of these being offered in any job that I've worked over the last decade or so, which makes me think they're being phased out. And probably that's because people are living longer and you'll understand why they're being phased out in a second. So with the defined benefit scheme, your employer basically promises to pay you a set amount when you retire, regardless of how many contributions you've made. And also regardless of the current financial market. So remember that pensions are investments. So the amount in your pension pot can rise and fall depending on what's going on with the market. So they work out how much to pay on this type of pension by looking at your salary and also looking at your years of service. Your employer is the one that's responsible for funding the plan. So they take on the investment risk and they will pay you every month until you die. 
But like I said, with people living longer, I don't think many businesses want to take that type of risk on any anymore. So the second option, the more popular option, and the one I've always been part of before jumping on the self-employed bandwagon is the defined contribution scheme. So this is where you and your employer both contribute into the plan and how much you get out depends on how much you've invested and how that investment has performed. Your payments aren't guaranteed for life and you as the employee take on the investment risk of the product. When the pot runs empty, you basically stop receiving an income and you can see from this how it's a much more attractive option for businesses because it's way less risk for them. So if you want to think of a way of remembering these two, defined benefit schemes benefit the employee or you and defined contribution schemes benefit the employer or you can see contribution as it's because you both contribute with either of these plans you can top up your pension if you want to receive more at retirement and there's a couple of different ways that you can do this either through occupational schemes or contributing to private arrangements so you've got something called an additional voluntary contribution or an abc You've also got a freestanding additional voluntary contribution or an FSABC for SABBOX. Or you've got a personal or stakeholder pension plan. I'll cover all these now. So additional voluntary contributions and freestanding additional voluntary contributions are available to employees who are members of occupational schemes and personal and stakeholder pensions are generally available to absolutely anyone under the age of 75. So we'll look at personal and stakeholder pensions just in a second. With the additional voluntary contributions, they're extra payments to an occupational scheme. So sometimes these contributions can purchase additional years service if it's a final salary scheme. But most ABCs operate as money purchase arrangements and the employee will only have a limited choice of funds. So the employer or the business that employs you will usually cover some or all of the admin and fund the management costs. You don't pay tax on any additional voluntary contributions unless you go over your annual allowance. So if we take, for example, the pension scheme that I had in place for when I worked for a mortgage broker was I would put in three or 4% of my annual income and the company also put in three or 4%, I can't remember which one it was, I could up my contributions at any point by as much of a percentage as I wanted to and I'd be investing more to save more towards my retirement if I did that. And some employers, like the one that I used to work for, would match up to 5%. So if you put more in, you get more out. It's a really great scheme. With the freestanding additional voluntary contributions... They work in pretty much the same way, except you would do it with a separate institution. So they're available from a bunch of different institutions, including insurance companies, banks and building societies. So contributions from those would be made from your taxed income and then tax relief at the basic rate of 20% is then claimed back by the pension provider that you've chosen to go with and added to your pension fund. So if I banked with NatWest, I could open up a pension with NatWest tomorrow and the same rules would apply. The money has a tax-free allowance and gets put away until I'm at least 55. Higher and additional rate taxpayers need to claim additional relief separately through their income tax self-assessment. Now, with workplace pensions, we've spoken before about how UK governments have been concerned that people just aren't saving enough for the retirement. 
So workplace pensions and auto-enrolment were introduced in 2012, and they were basically an attempt to address that problem. So under the auto-enrolment scheme, employers must enrol eligible workers in a qualifying workplace pension and contribute a specific minimum amount to the scheme. There is criteria as to what would make you eligible. So you can't already be in a pension at work. You have to be 22 or over also understate pension age, and you have to earn more than £10,000 a year and, of course, work in the UK. As an employee, you can choose to opt out of the scheme, but only after you've automatically been made a member. And since 2019, a minimum of 8% of an employee's earnings have to be paid into the scheme. So that's made up of an employer contribution of 3%, an employee contribution of 4%, with a tax relief at 1%. That's what the government put in place to just try and encourage people or get people to save more towards their retirement. Let's have a look at stakeholder pensions. So the stakeholder pension has been available since 2001 and it's a type of personal pension. But the government's aim with this was to encourage more individuals to contribute to their own pension arrangement, particularly those at a lower earning level who traditionally wouldn't have had a pension um, and you would have relied upon a state pension. So in order to encourage those on lower incomes or with a limited understanding of pensions, stakeholder pensions were designed to be simple, low-cost options. So key standards that are a product that they have to meet to be a stakeholder pension is that the charges can't exceed 1.5% of the fund value per year for the first 10 years of the term and can't exceed more than 1% after that. Entry and exit charges aren't permitted, so you can't be charged to go into one, you can't be charged to exit one, and the minimum contribution required can't be more than £20. So it just offers that extra flexibility for people who might be on a limited income. Let's talk about how pension contributions are invested, because retirement planning effectively has two phases. So you have an accumulation phase and this is where your money is accumulated. It's where savings are made into a pension to build up a fund. And then you have the opposite, the decumulation phase, which is where you start to draw out your money because you, you've reached retirement. The way in which pension contributions are invested during the accumulation phase very much depends on the type of scheme. So with a defined benefit scheme, there's generally a pension fund operated by or on behalf of your works in which contributions are paid and investment decisions are taken at scheme level. And this means that you as the employee have no control over where your money is invested. The, object, the objective being to ensure that the scheme can continue to pay pension benefits already in payment and the benefits of current members who will reach retirement age in the future. So the scheme is usually invested with a bunch of mix of equities, gilts, corporate bonds and cash. Individual members are not able to make decisions on how their contributions are invested with defined benefit schemes. That's the key takeaway here. But they have the reassurance. It doesn't really matter because they've got that reassurance of the promise of a certain level of income when they reach retirement anyway. Whereas with defined contribution schemes the scheme member has much more choice and control over how your contributions are invested. So the pension providers usually would offer a really wide range of investment from funds from which you as a member can select. And pen pension benefits depend in part on the value of that fund when the benefit is taken. So it's down to you if you wanted to, to make smart choices 
if you don't want to make those choices, you can leave it up to the provider. So when someone is a ton of years away from taking those benefits, they might want to look at funds that aim at maximizing their growth, like equity funds. And as retirement approaches, they might want to go for lower risk funds like cash or fixed interest stuff, just to make sure that they're definitely getting the biggest payout when it comes to retirement. You as a member are able to choose a mix of funds that meet your needs, objectives and circumstances. And if a pension is an individual arrangement, like a personal pension, a financial advisor can guide you on fund choices. Where a defined contribution pension is an occupational scheme, there may be a more limited range of funds to choose from with your employer selecting what they believe to the to be the most suitable fund. Okay, the last thing that I want to talk about today is pension scams. So you've definitely all heard of the phone calls that you get. It's usually to your landline if you still have one of those that says you need to pay for your Amazon subscription or you owe on tax and they're going to send the police around. You've won some money or we're calling from your bank and there might be fraud. And I'd like to think that by this point, we all know that they're scams. But there is a growing concern where people are being scammed out of their pensions by groups of people calling and advertising a really lucrative investment scheme, often along the lines of, I can get you 110% returns on your investment in 12 months if you switch to us as a pension provider. And you know what they say, if it's too good to be true, or if it sounds too good to be true, it's because it usually is. Unfortunately, people do fall victim to these scams every year and more often than, than not, it will be those people that are closer to retirement age and they just want to look at maximizing their returns at that point. So scammers will also try that with our scheme, you can withdraw 70 or 80% at 55 instead of 25. And again, there's no such policy or fund that exists. If you were to switch to that provider, and I use that term very loosely, you would never see a penny of your retirement income again. So be aware the scammers are only getting better. It's something that as a financial advisor, you have to be aware of and you have to make your clients aware of that. All right, team, we are done for this week. And that was a little bit of CMAP 1, Unit 1, Topic 10, Boxed right off. I don't know if I mentioned it at the start, but please remember this podcast is not a comprehensive study guide. It's here to give you an insight into each unit and to support your learning. If you need more, you can head on over to the website, which is futureinfinance.co.uk. I'm currently offering a massive 50% off the audio study guide package. So it's 25 MP3s just like this podcast, but in a lot more depth, covering the whole of the CMAP1 textbook, plus some visual aids, plus an hour's one-to-one coaching with me for just £120. Go on the website, look for the All Access Pass, which is under the Audio Study Guides tab on the website. I also forgot to mention you have the option of purchasing one topic at a time, meaning if you feel like you've got a handle on self-study pretty well, but there's just one bit that boggles your brain, or if you've just sat your exam and you missed the mark in one or two units, don't worry, that happened to me too, then you can buy just one topic that you need help with for just £10. And also, finally, there is a brand spanking new section of the website called Study Support. If you subscribe, I'll send you hints, tips and ways to pass the exam, plus a ton of mock exam questions from 2023 mock exam papers. You're welcome. Weekly-ish emails, but don't count, don't uh, hold me to that one. Just find study support, pop your email in, and you will get a good dose of the good shit. My favourite people, 
go better yourself, go get the career you want, and go get help with your CMAP studies with Future in Finance. As always, if you have any questions, if there's anything you want to know more about, or if you just wanted to tell me that you're studying for your CMAP and you fell on this podcast completely by accident, but you did learn something new today, then please get in touch. We've got this podcast, we've got TikTok, we've got Instagram, we've got LinkedIn. Come and say hi, however you fancy. It's been an absolute dream having you here. Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you next week.